Tom, we have about uh, oh, 100, 130 people in the auditorium here at Qatar Academy. So I'd like to introduce everybody to Thomas Friedman, the author of Hi. The World is Flat and the author of Hot, Flat and Crowded. Tom is also a reporter with The New York Times and uh, he's the inspiration behind uh, the projects that we've been... We've just done a half day of our conference, Tom, the first half day. And uh, I'd like to pass it over to Tom now. Thanks, Tom. Over to you. Well, uh, thank you, Julie. It's, uh, it's really a treat um, to uh, be able to speak again at Qatar Academy, where I've, I've had a chance to visit uh, in the past. Um, uh, I don't want to give a big speech um, as I sit here in my home in uh, Washington, D.C., speaking to a telephone, so it's, it's uh, a little uh, body. But uh, this certainly is a flat world experience. Uh, here I'm able to um, you know, participate in, in your uh, flat world conference um, in my own home using Skype for uh, basically for free, I guess. Um, uh, let me just talk a little bit about what's uh, been on my mind uh, since I wrote The World is Flat, which is now over three years ago. Um, some of the biggest changes I think are out there, and then just say a few words about the hot, flat, crowded, and let's open it up for discussion. Um, you know, if, if you ask me uh, what are the, the big changes that um, have happened uh, in the world since I first wrote The World is Flat, I think I'd, I'd point to um, three things. Uh, the first is, you know, what I'd call the iron rule of business today uh, in a flat world, and, and that iron rule of business is that um, when the world is flat, whatever can be done will be done. The only question is will it be done by you or to you? Um, the the uh, iron rule of business is whatever can be done will be done. The only question is can it be done by you or will it be done by you or to you? So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that um, the world is getting so connected um, and there are now so many distributed tools of innovation and connectivity that if you have a good idea in Doha, please promise me you will pursue it immediately because someone in Denver um, or Dalian, China um, or Dhaka, you know, Senegal have that same idea a second later because um, there are now just so many distributed tools of innovation from software to PC, other forms of technology and, and so much connectivity that, um, you know, whatever uh, can be done will be done um, and it'll either be done to you uh, or by you. Um, that's sort of a first broad business principle I see happening out there. The second really applies to students um, like yourselves, and, and that is um, when the world is flat, I find that the most important economic competition is, uh, is no longer between companies and companies or even countries and com countries, although, of course, that economic competition between companies and countries still exists. Really, the most important competition going forward is, is going to be between you and your own imagination. It's going to be between you and your own imagination. What do I mean by that? I mean that when the world is this flat, what you imagine really matters. It really matters. Because in such a flat world, you, the young people in Qatar, can now act on your imagination. You can now act on your imagination farther, faster, deeper, cheaper than ever before. Uh, your teacher, Julie, she imagined one day, hey, let's have a, uh, let's have a conference on this subject. Um, you have a 
Tom Friedman can't come, and he lives in Bethesda, Maryland, outside of Washington. Oh, no problem. She just imagined a different way to do it, and um, using uh, Skype and um, uh, you know the internet, and um, and suddenly I'm here, you know, speaking to you, you know, remotely, uh, virtually for free, um, uh, and participating in your conference in a way someone else may not have imagined, or in a way that just wouldn't have been possible years ago. So. Um, this is so in any any endeavor. You, you may I write in my book about you know someone who said you know why should all iPod why should all iPod headphones be white? But this was a guy who worked on Wall Street up in New York. He, he liked his iPod. He went talking with it every day. But he noticed all iPod iPod uh, earphones were white, and so he imagined uh, <coughs> multicolored iPod earphones: zebra and polka dot, and pink and yellow and red. And uh, he went on the internet. He found a manufacturer in China to, to make them. Um, he found uh, a way to sell them through Amazon.com. And um, for, for really just a few thousand dollars, using his imagination, um, he assembled a, a global manufacturing base for multicolored iPod earphones. Now, it's a silly example in, in many ways, but it, it really is the point that the only thing. Um, you know, between you and and these kind of inventions is really your imagination and and uh, understanding the potential that the flat world offers for, you know, getting someone to manufacture something somewhere, design something somewhere else, uh, distribute it somewhere else, and a process of credit card charges somewhere else. And if you're creative and imaginative about that, um, you can you can start some amazing things uh, in this world from your own desk, depending on your imagination. I think the third, you know, the big point I would make is that um, we now live in an age where uh, how, how you do things um, really matters. There's a good book out by, by the title, just named How by Doug Seidman, and, and it really makes the point that in a flat, integrated, intertwined, connected world, um, how you do things really matters. Um, how you run your business, um, how you treat your customers, how you treat your colleagues, um, how you say you're sorry, or how you don't say you're sorry, manages so matters so much more today because people can now see into your business or your school, for that matter, uh, farther and faster, deeper and cheaper than ever before. Um, you know, the, the New York company, the New York Times company, can can um, say, well, our motto is. You know, anything you can imagine, magic, you know, all the news that's fit to print. But we now have readers, you know, who can see inside our business, um, that can see beyond your logo, as it were. They can see right how you live your life. And you as students have to remember that everything you do today is leaving an electronic, digital footprint out there. Um, everything you, you write um, that gets captured on Google is there forever. Uh, everything you upload onto your Facebook page it is there potentially forever. And when you go to uh, apply for your first job, more and more employers now, uh, the first thing they'll do is uh, is Google Julie Lindsay and uh, see whether she's been good or bad, naughty or nice, um, based on the digital footprint that she's left in her um, Google profile. And therefore, how you do things really matters more. Um, uh, so be good 
because um, you're leaving digital footprints everywhere, and people will be able to access them uh, from now until the day you die farther, faster, deeper, cheaper than ever before. So, so our hows really, really matter. And by the way, if you get your hows right, um, that will be a huge source of, of power and leverage because um, more people will know about that as well. Um, so those are just sort of some recent thoughts about um, where the flat world is going. Uh, in terms of hot, flat, and crowded, um, uh, this book is really about how hot the global warming, flat, the rise of middle classes all over the world who um, can increasingly live a, a Western lifestyle and uh, in Western-style homes, uh, drive Western-sized highways and Western-sized cars and eat Western-sized Big Macs. Um, how uh, in a world that's hot, flat, and then crowded with uh, the planet adding another billion people now, um, every 13 years. Every 13 years, we now add another billion people to the planet. Um, and so when the world gets this hot, much climate change, this flat, as many people um, able to consume at higher and higher rates and just crowded, just as many people, period, um, it's really going to drive um, some very, very serious uh, global trends. And um, uh, this book is really about those trends, um, which range from energy and natural resource supply and demand, climate change, petro dictatorship, biodiversity loss, and energy poverty. And um, the cure for those trends, basically, the way we prevent those trends from really overwhelming all of us in the 21st century, um, is uh, which country can invent um, through innovation, through conservation, and through energy efficiency, which country can invent, invent sources of abundant, cheap, clean, that is non-CO2 emitting, uh, reliable electrons and molecules. And whichever country comes up that source of abundant, cheap, clean, reliable electrons and molecules, I think will have the the answer for the biggest problem of the world is going to face in the early 21st century, which I believe our energy and natural resource supply and demand is demand for water, oil, food, fuel, um, cement, steel, um, uh, petrodictorship, biodiversity loss, climate change, and energy poverty. And so I think the next great global industry, and that's really what the book is about, is going to be not IT, information technology, but ET energy technology, which to me you know, really encapsulates the search for um, uh, all these new sources of clean food, uh, fuel, and water. And um, the book is really a clarion call for how we do that. So with that introduction, um, uh, really just mini snapshots of my latest thinking about those subjects, I, I'd just like to open the floor to you and your questions and so I can answer them. Thanks, Tom. Uh, we're just uh, collecting some students who have some questions. I have one to start with already, but I, could I just uh, say, students, if you have questions for Tom, could you please come down and uh, sit down here now, okay? And uh, we'll start going through these questions. Okay, so what I'll ask uh, students to do is to say their name and where they're from and then ask their question. There you go. Yeah, you, you have to sort of talk into the laptop. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Steve from... Huh? Oh, wait, what do you... Just, just talk to the laptop. Uh, I'm Steve.
from Houston, Texas, Springwoods High School. And first of all, I'd like to say thank you for creating this whole thing, basically. And my question is, how do you feel about how you basically started this whole thing? Basically, you're the father of this whole flat classroom thing. I mean, the world being flat. There we go. Um, well, you know, it's very creative. You know, I, I, um, uh, I've never done anything like this. It's gotten this kind of reaction, so I'm a little bit pulled over by it. You know, it's become a, kind of a, theme, uh, you know, a theme that's picked up in a lot of places. So it's been fun professionally. Um, but, you know, everything I do, um, it's really meant to serve my column. That is that I, didn't, I wasn't sitting around thinking about how can I give birth to a big idea? Really what I was sitting around was thinking about how do I how do, I do my job? And my job is to um, write two columns a week in the New York Times that go around the world that help people understand the world, that really um, help uh, explain things and give them a kind of framework with which to look at the world. And, and so that's really where it all came from. I, I wasn't out you know, to write a bestseller or, or come up with a big idea. I, I was just out trying to do my job. Find strength to really help people understand the world they're living in. First of all, myself. And so, you know, the book is, as I, as I say, in it, it's about really by accident. I, I, I was in India working on a documentary for the Discovery Channel on outsourcing. And, um, uh, and I was seeing things as I was doing that documentary, which I just had never seen. Um, I was seeing doctors in Bangalore, India, able to read x-rays um, in real time for um, patients in Nesmeria. Um, I, was, I was calling, uh, I was losing my luggage on Delta Airlines and calling to find, discovering I was talking to someone in India. And, um, and when I, we, we kind of take some of these things for granted, but when they first happened, I was really uh, fascinated and confused because I didn't understand what was the platform, the technology platform, that was even making any of this possible. It was all really new. So, so the book really began as a quest to understand what was the platform that was making that possible. And the last interview I did with, with Nandan Nilakani, who's the CEO of Imbus, the Indian, big Indian outsourcing company, we were in Bangalore, and I was uh, sitting in, in a, uh, on the couch outside his office while our television crew was setting up, and we were talking about everything I had discovered, all the questions I had, Billy, uh, on my trip to India. And at one point he said, Tom, I've got to tell you, the global economic playing field is being leveled, and you Americans are not ready. And um, uh, I wrote that down in my laptop. Wow, the global economic playing field is being leveled, and you Americans are not ready. And um, after the interview, I was riding back to my hotel in a, in a jeep in, in, in India, and um, I just kept thinking about what Nantan said, rolling it over in my mind. The global economic playing field is being leveled. Hmm. And it just struck me, I don't know, it just sort of popped into my head that what he really was saying was the global economic playing field was being flattened. 
And then in the kind of crazy chemical way things happen, I don't know where it came from, it just popped into my head that Nanda Nilakani, India's premier uh, engineer uh, innovator was saying, was that the world is flat. And I wrote that down in my notebook, uh, the world is flat. And I got back to my hotel about an hour later, I ran up to my, my room in the hotel, I called my wife back here in Bethesda, Maryland, and I said, uh, honey, I'm going to write a book called The World is Flat. Uh, she now says she thought that was a brilliant idea. Uh, that's not exactly how I remember the conversation at the time, but never mind. Um, but, uh, 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 that's what really started. I came up kind of with the idea, with the image, and then I worked backwards, and I built a platform that really explained why that image was appropriate. Tom, Tom, we have about uh, nine students lined up here, so I'm going to pass you on to the next one. Thanks. Hi, my name is Jess. I'm studying in Qatar Academy. And I noticed that this call isn't a webcam Skype-to-Skype -Skype call. And so I was just wondering how many of the applications or types of technology you actually use that are ma is making our world flat. That's a very good question. This means you won't tell anybody what I said. Uh, I am the most unflat person in the world. Um, uh, I, uh, you know, for years I didn't have a cell phone at all. Then I had a cell phone that I just used my um, And lately I've got a cell phone, but I, I almost never answer messages left on it because I can never figure out how to do that. Um, uh, I have no iPod, no iPhone, no Blackberry. I'm actually in my personal life, in my personal life, person. I'm deeply disconnected. Um, and that's because I have to write two columns a week. And um, when you have two columns a week, you can't have people interrupting you on a cell phone all the time um, and pinging you with email and whatnot. So I actually keep myself um, very disconnected. Um, uh, I do answer email, as Julie knows. And um, uh, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by all the email I get in a day, and so I just ignore it all and, um, uh, and run away. Uh, because um, there is a disease in the world today, a new disease. It's called the disease of overconnectedness. Um, and uh, overconnectedness is, uh, can be very um, uh, detrimental to your health. Um, because it prevents you from having the time to sit back and think. Um, and uh, th there's a, a, a friend of mine, uh, um, Linda Stone, who worked at Microsoft, actually has a name for this disease. Um, i got to think about it now. It's, um, uh, she calls it continuous partial attention. Continuous partial attention, where you are devoting partial attention all the time, 24 hours a day, to to um, uh, where you're continuously involved in a series of acts to which you're devoting partial attention. You're, you're at home, um, you're doing your homework, you're um, answering email, um, listening to your iPod uh, while the TV's on. Um, that's the disease of continuous partial attention. And uh, it can be lethal to creativity. So to inoculate myself from that, I, in my personal life, am deeply uh, unflat person, deeply disconnected, um, but that's my secret. So well, no one outside the Cutter Academy will know. <laughs> Hi, my name is Nastasia Salem. I'm from Australia, and I'd like to know how can we interact with other areas of of our life, 
economically, socially, and environmental, etc., through the Flat Classroom Project. It's really, you know, what, what we're doing today, and these opportunities become, you know, farther, faster, deeper, cheaper than ever before. It's understanding what the, it's again, really using your imagination, you know, the way Julie did, just in a simple way here, um, and not being in any way intimidated by distance. Oh, uh, Tom can't come to Qatar Academy when we're having our conference? No problem. Let's get um, a, a Skype program up. We'll link in from uh, Washington our class here will be part of the conference. Um, it, it's really appreciating the new technologies that are emerging every day, and for reasons which I just explained, and I'm probably the worst person to tell you what those are, um, that really will allow you to compete, connect, and collaborate with people anywhere, anytime, for less money than ever before. Um, my name is Tamam, and um, in your book, The World's Flat, you mentioned that there are forces that could uh, seriously harm or slow the flattening of the world. Um, what forces were you talking about um, besides the terrorist networks, and uh, how could they negatively impact the, f um, the flattening of the world? Thanks. That's a very good question. You know, there, there are just a whole um, uh, group of, you know, not just political forces, but even economic forces like we see today with the... Let's take what's going on in the world today. It's a very good question. You know, um, uh, last week, uh, our new Treasury Secretary, uh, Tim Geithner, was testifying. He was being confirmed before Congress. And as part of this testimony, he accused China of manipulating its currency and uh, of deliberately keeping its currency cheap so the dollar is more expensive, so it's harder for American exports to go to China and easier for Chinese exports to go to America. And, um, you know, that kind of thing, then China reacted very negatively to that, and that kind of tit-for-tat uh, can make the world uh, unflat very quickly if countries in the face of this economic crisis throw up uh, economic borders. If everyone in Qatar says only buy Qatari project products, if everyone in America says only buy American, if everyone in China says only buy Chinese, um, we got to take care of ourselves in the face of this global economic crisis. Um, that's probably the most important way and the most dangerous way uh, in which the world could get unflat very quickly. Hi, Tom. Uh, my name is Sonwabile Pepani, and I study at the International Community School of Addis Ababa. I wanted to know, um, how exactly are we going to affect the people, the billions of people without computers, the third world citizens who can't get access to the flat classroom conference, and how are we going to help them in the, in the cause? Very important question, you know, and, um, uh, you know, the good news is that, uh, you know, the cost of these devices, um, whether it's the, the uh, $100 computer, which is now out there, um, or, uh, you know, cheap telephones. Um, the technology is getting so cheap uh, and so powerful that more and more people um, can afford it. You look at the, the rate of proliferation of cell phones in India, for instance, with very simple models of um, uh, how to pay for them uh, through calling cards. Uh, these technologies are getting out there you know, farther and faster than ever before. And while those, I'm actually less worried about the, um, 
the poor segments of the world getting access to these technologies. That's actually happening, maybe faster than we realize. What I worry about most is them not having the educational skills, the, the teachers like you have, the, the educational opportunities to really develop the, um, the skills they need to get the most out of these new technologies. And um, that's something we as a world community have to be working on. Obviously, it's something their own countries and governments have to work on. It's always the combination of the right technology with the right education, the right imagination. It's really all three of those things together, which is, I think, the secret sauce that really propels a, an individual, a community, or a country forward. Uh, hi, um, my name is Nural and I'm from India. What inspired you to write The World is Flat and Hot, Flat and Crowded? Well, you know, really what I, what I said earlier to explain that story in Bangalore was really what inspired me to write The uh, World is Flat. You know, it was really seeing these technologies in, in your home country, in India, um, uh, connecting with American business and not understanding how it was working and wanting to explain to myself and readers you know, just how it works. So that was really where the world is flat came from. Not flat and crowded, you know, really came from um, uh, kind of putting all these things together in my own head. I, I didn't uh, have one epiphany moment, but it was really um, bringing together these three kind of rather disconnected things, global warming, not uh, flattening, the rise of these middle classes able to take advantage of the flat world all over from China to India, from Russia to Brazil to the Middle East, um, and crowded population growth. It was really putting those three together in my head and, um, and then thinking about what the global implications were of that. And so, again, I didn't have one kind of eureka moment. It was just... Um, uh, it was kind of an intellectual brainstorm, <laughs> I guess, is the way I, only way I can describe it. But um, uh, it was also motivated, really hot, flat, and crowded by something else. Um, and uh, it was a very American thing. Hot, flat, and crowded is a book about energy and environment, but it's actually a book about America also. And my feeling that my own country has uh, kind of lost its groove. Um, lost its groove, lost its edge, um, uh, and some of the dynamism um, in the last decade, in particular since 9-11. And really hot, flat, and crowded was my prescription of how we get our groove back. And the basic argument is we get our groove back as a country if we take the lead in solving the world's biggest problem, problems that grow out of hot, flat, and crowded. And, um, and so the book is not just an energy environment, it's also really a clarion call for how America, um, you know, gets, gets its act together again. And uh, so the book really came out of those different, really inspirational. Um, hi, my name is Edgar Omole. I, I study at the International, International Community School of Addis Ababa. I was wondering, as the world becomes more flat and uh, fantastic new ideas are being able to be spread throughout the, th throughout the world very quickly, don't you think um, this can have the opposite effect and really hateful, negative messages could be spread, spread quickly, and uh, yeah, how, how, what do you feel about that? That's a, another very good question, and, um, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, when the world is flat for the good guys, for the Qatar Academy, um, it's flat for the bad guys, you know, the hate mongers, the racists, um, and criminals, um, basically, who, who uh, depend on an illicit economy. 
And so um, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's why um, it's so important to understand there's nothing about Skype that um, Skype's just a neutral, dumb technology. It can connect uh, Julie Lindsay and Tom Friedman and cut to our academy, but it could also connect, um, uh, you know, racist hate mongers who want to spew out, um, uh, you know, vile information about uh, Hindus, Muslims, Jews, or Christians. So um, we have to be very vigilant about this. You know, I always say that the Internet is really just an open sewer. It's an open sewer of untreated, unfiltered information. And, um, and therefore, educating people, giving them the software filter to really appreciate what is out there and what isn't, um, what is truth and what is fact, becomes more important than ever. And um, those kind of software filters, those kind of cultural values and cultural norms and judgment, you know, uh, you can't download judgment. Um, you really – or wisdom. Um, uh, or values. You, you can't you can't download those things. You can only upload them the old-fashioned way um, by uh, through sending kids to to church, to mosque, to temple, to synagogue, to um, you know uh, getting a, a, a religious-based values education to supplement their secular education. Uh, it can only be uploaded by parents and teachers instilling you know the right values in kids. And these become more important than ever because when, when you're at home with the Internet, you're, you're interfacing with this open sewer completely nakedly. Uh, your parents aren't there. Your teachers aren't there. Your friends aren't there. It's really you and the world out there. And uh, therefore, what values you bring, what filters you bring, uh, it's very important that those be uploaded by, by, your, by your spiritual guides, your religious leaders, your teachers, and your parents. And um, I, I take that very seriously. Hi, I'm Fiba from Pakistan. I just wanted to ask, what do you think about uh, right now that uh, we are sitting on an educational revolution? Oh, I think we are. You know, we're, we're certainly sitting on a um, uh, a world where um, more people have access to more information and more tools of learning um, than ever before. And, and the key, again, I think goes back to imagination. Um, you know, having teachers who understand just how cheap technologies are um, and just how easy they are to do and how much they can be used to expand the horizon of students around the world. So, um, you know, when, when you have um, uh, something like Google that can basically connect you in over 100 languages to all the world's literature and all the world's knowledge, all the world's libraries. Um, that's an amazing, amazing thing. But just to go back to my earlier answer, um, to get the most out of that, um, you really need the kind of judgment, wisdom, and filters, and, and nothing can replace um, the, the, those things which can only really be uploaded in a classroom by religious leaders and, and, uh, and by parents. Hi, I'm Rahan from Pakistan. Uh, so, what is your vision of the future classrooms and learning after 10 years? Well, another good question. You know, I'm not really sure. I wish my wife were here because she's a school teacher also. She teaches first grade reading in the public school here in Washington. Um, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, if I am my way, 
um, it, it, uh, it wouldn't be all that much different from what we have now. Um, I, I hope there'll be, um, you know, faster computers that are simpler to use um, and cheap enough that every student who wants to get access to um, computing power and the Internet will have them available. Um, I hope that they will connect students from all over the world like we're doing now with teachers. I hope they'll make available for teachers the best um, teaching methods and, and um, uh, classroom, you know, plans and programs for teaching a different subject. That if Julie Lindsay decides one day she needs to know how to teach fractions to eighth graders, she can just go to the Internet, toss in fractions for eighth graders, and she'll get the three best lesson plans in the world for doing that. Um, so I'd like to see all those things, you know. But I, I would also say that um, uh, there's nothing replacing, you know, that kind of one-to-one -one contact, the kind of nurturing, very hands-on personal education, um, you know, for students who aren't always equipped to learn on their own or for things and the values that students can't learn on their own. And so I think we need to take advantage of what is new as much as we can, but we uh, excuse me, never lose sight of what is old um, and, and the values of, uh, of just old-time learning uh, between a student and a teacher. Hi, my name is Casey Cox. I'm from Westwood Schools in Camilla, Georgia. And I was just wondering what part the environment would play in education if we could lessen the carbon footprint in the classroom? Well, you know, schools are like other institutions, Casey, you know, that um, they're, they uh, have a carbon footprint, as you say. Um, uh, schools probably are, are relatively, relatively um, uh, efficient in that uh, it's either walk or bike to school, or they come in mass transit, a school bus in most schools. But you also have a lot of private schools. I, I live right across the street. I can look at it from my window here from the French School in Washington, D.C. on Bradley Boulevard. And every day around 4 o'clock, I see a line of uh, SUVs of parents all idling in their cars, um, waiting to pick up their kids at the end of school, you know. And um, uh, that's probably not the most efficient use of energy. You know, there's just so many every day that um, are so energy inefficient that um, I don't, people often ask me what's, you know, what's the most energy efficient thing we could do and I always say simply pay attention. Attention. The lesson I learned from Amy Love and if you just pay attention to what you're doing like at home at your school and your job, uh, it's amazing how much energy you can save by just doing that. And we don't need any any windmills, any any um uh, uh, you know, solar farms, uh, you know, the greatest form of, and cheapest form, and easiest form of clean uh, electrons, electron, is just being more energy efficient. Um, those are electrons that don't cost any money to produce when you, when you save them, and uh, uh, they can have an enormous effect on the environment. So, you know, the thing is for you and your school to, to do what we all try to do at home or in our workplaces, Pay attention. Take an audit of what you're doing. And simply ask the question, you know, why, why are the lights on an hour after we're gone or an hour before we come here or when we're not in the classroom? Um, set yourself a challenge, a goal, say, well, what is our electric bill right now in our school this month and how do we bring it down? Um, and let's say a year from now, you know, definitely going to, uh, you know, cut it by 10 or 15 percent. Set yourself a goal and pay attention to it. You'll, you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. 
Um, hi, my name is Athiel and I go to school at Qatar Academy. And I was just wondering, to what extent do you think that the flat world will affect people's lives in the future? Will affect people's lives in the future? And, um, yeah. And more importantly, what do you think to those people who refuse to accept or adapt to this change? Well, uh, you know, I can understand um, uh, some people not wanting to adapt to it for those reasons I talked about earlier. They just they don't want to be connected or they're afraid of that connectivity. They're afraid what will flood into their community or to their kids if they don't have uh, the filters to handle it. So I, I, I can understand that. I can even respect it in some cases. But uh, I'm a kind of big believer that um, uh, I, some people have accused me of being a technological determinist, you know, and um, I am to some degree that I believe if, if technology gives you an Internet, people will use it. Um, what they'll use it for is another question. Some will use it for good and for education. Others will use it for ill and for spewing hate, but people will use it. Um, if Apple invents an iPhone that, you know, basically is almost a mini computer you can carry around in your pocket, people will use it. What they'll use it for, um, I can't really predict. And so what I see basically 10 years from now is simply more and more of these devices emerging that will make connectivity um, easier, cheaper, farther, faster than ever before. And I think that's just where the whole process is going to be heading. Easier, cheaper, farther, faster than ever before to compete, connect, and collaborate from anywhere in the world. The important thing is not to kind of think those technologies and what will they do. The important thing is to say, I'm going to nurture my own imagination, my company's, my school's imagination, to get the most out of those technologies. That's really the key thing. And that I can't predict how that will do. But you can be sure that the, the technologies um, will keep coming, will get smaller, cheaper, lighter, the handheld devices will get more powerful, um, with far to reach for less money and more ubiquitous. So um, all of that will happen. The thing I don't know is what you'll imagine ways to use them. Uh, um, I'm John Vereen from Camilla, Georgia. I was wondering, as the world flattens and as technology improves and changes, do you think the next generation will be, will be prepared for this change? Um, I think so. I'm, I'm stuck in my wife is stuck how our college-age daughter, I have a daughter who's 20, is a junior in college. Um, she's like our seeing-eye dog. You know, we, we, we depend on her to explain uh, either how our phone works or how I get messages off it or how I find something on the Internet. So. I'm all thumbs half the time. So I, I, I think a lot of things um, that uh, really have to be learned by, by me come natural to her um, and her friends. And so um, it was always thus. I'm sure it was true with the first telephones, the first radios, the first typewriter, electric typewriters. It certainly was true with the Internet, and now it's true with Internet 2.0. Uh, Tom, we've got time for one more question, okay? I'm just passing you to the last question now. Um, hi, Tom. I'm Yaksan from Oman. Uh, well, to be honest, I have two questions, and if you have time to answer them both. Uh, my first question is, does this book has any, have any translations other than English? And uh, the second question, you know, after a few generations, I mean, these technologies are going to get better and better each time. Aren't you afraid they might, like, kind of be, people be obsessed more than the olden ways? And, uh, well, thank you, and good luck with your book.
Thank you very much, and uh, a good question. Actually, the world is flat is out in, in um, 32 languages, um, uh, uh, from uh, Chinese to Arabic to uh, Russian to German to Dutch to uh, Spanish, uh, Portuguese. It, it's, uh, I don't have the whole list, but uh, it's actually out in 32 languages, and uh, been a bestseller in China, since, and I've been on a book tour there. So that's been very, very exciting. Um, and uh, to the answer to your second question, yes, you know, I really go back to, um, you know, what I was alluding to earlier. Um, you know, the Internet will make you smarter, but it won't make you smart. You know, remember that. Uh, the Internet will extend your reach, wow, all over the world, but it will never tell you how to be kind to your neighbor or, you know, your, 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 how to forge a friendship with the student sitting next to you. Um, and we just can't lose sight of all that old-fashioned stuff that um, uh, you can't download. You have to upload the old-fashioned way under uh, under the olive tree, you know, with your with your parents and your teachers and your religious leaders one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. And so we, we, we definitely want to keep abreast of what is happening with the technologies, what they empower and what they enable. Um, but uh, remember that... Um, None of them come with judgment included inside. Uh, all of that has to be downloaded, sorry, uploaded the old-fashioned way, and um, we, need to, uh, we need to keep our, our eyes on that. So uh, uh, respect your parents, uh, cherish your teachers, um, and, uh, and, and, and go forth with God's thank you. Thank you all very much. Tom, on behalf of Qatar Academy and the Flat Classroom Conference, thank you very much for your time and your thoughts, and uh, we've really appreciated uh, the opportunity for our students to interact with you today. Thank you once again. Well, I really appreciate it. It's really an honor and a thrill, you know, to have people uh, around the world, you know, reading your book and taking it so seriously. Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person. I'm so glad we got to do this uh, in a flat, remote way. I guess it was actually uh, quite appropriate. And um, really, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to do this. Okay, thank you. Once again. Bye -bye. Okay, bye for now. Bye.